You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Pacers podcast. My name is Adam Friedman. As always, I'm a staff editor, IndyColinRose.com. And joining me today is a special guest from Locked On Celtics, uh, John Corrales at Reds Army underscore John. I assume that's a pun for Red Arbach and as a Boston Celtics fan, right? Yes, yes. It's the name of my blog that we've been doing for a while. And we started it with uh, trying to figure out like, okay, what are Celtics fans? Well, well, we are disciples of Red. Red's our leader. So that means we are all, if Red's the general, we all are members of Red's Army. So that's what we named the, the site, geez, like 12 years ago. And it's just kind of stuck. Wow, you've been doing it for twelve years. That's that's dedication. I'll give you that. I know you just you just recently <laughs> switched. Right now you're doing it full time, and you got a, like a, a a Patreon subscription stuff like that too, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I quit my job and I'm I'm doing this full time. So I've got the Lockdown Celtics podcast. I got the blog. I've got my Patreon, which is Patreon.com/slash John Corrales. There I it do, is. Get it uh, some freelance work. There you go. Plug it all. I do work on uh, Boston.com. I'm all over the place, man. I uh, just try to be everywhere I can. Whoever wants to pay me money can throw money at me. (laughs) I will say, usually the Locked On Celtics is one of the most listened to Locked On podcasts. It might not touch Locked On Fantasy, but I know it's always in our top 10. Locked On is always on there. And so speaking of Locked On Celtics, yesterday I was listening to your show from, from yesterday night after the Celtics beat the Bucks, And one of your co-hosts, then you agreed with it, said Al Horford is or the best defensive player in the league. Now, I kind of agree with that, I guess. Uh, I think Draymond still has a, a say for that. Kawhi, <laughs> when he's healthy. Um, I guess my only thing is I just don't think Horford is that good at guarding wing players. I And it may just be my limited time watching against the Pacers that I'm kind of – it was a freshman memory right now, is when Oladipo beat him a couple times to the rim and kind of just made him look slow, I guess. And I get what his point was, but I guess I want to give you time to defend the Al Horford best defender in the league. So this is, first of all, a subjective thing. Uh, of secondly, it's, it, it's a matter of what, what's your criteria. And when we say Al Horford's the best defender in the league, uh, obviously we know that Kawhi Leonard exists. We know that Draymond Green exists and that uh, Anthony Davis. Uh, the point that we did make on the, on the podcast last night is some of the more one-dimensional bigs that are in the, always in the running. Forever in the running for best defensive player. If you're a shot-blocking big, you're always in the running for best defensive player in the league because you rebound, you block shots, you stop possessions. And I get it. But in today's NBA, the Rudy Gobert's and the Joel Embiid's of the world, while they are tremendous uh, defensive players, they can be schemed out. And we've seen that in the playoffs where you, you can go small and you can drag those guys away from the rim, and then what good are they? And that's not to say that they aren't tremendous players, but – that's a problem. And the thing that the point that we're making with Al Horford is not only can he defend Embiid in the post, which we've seen him do, we've seen we've seen him defend good back to the basket players. We've seen him switch onto wing players and mostly hold his own. Now, is he going to go out there and just pick up Oladipo on a switch and just follow him around the court? No, obviously not. But he is able to switch onto guards and as part of the scheming, switching, uh, the scram switching back. Like, he can hold his own long enough to 
let the rest of the defense settle down. And then when he has an opportunity to switch off of a player like that, he does. So, and, and he is the anchor of the best defense in the league. They have the best defensive rating. They have had the best defensive rating. And he's he's the biggest part. Of so, yeah, there's there's maybe a little bit of green goggles on when we say best defensive player in the league. But he's there with the best defensive players in the league. And once you get into that tier of players like him and the players that he's compared to, then then it's just splitting hairs in, in what you see as important in evaluating a player's defense in how you rank them. So I would agree with you there in terms of just a guy who can guard almost all five positions. He's definitely up there of defenders. I mean, Draymond's, I would say, is probably still the best, but he's definitely on the level, and that's kind of what a guy like Miles Turner for the Pacers is trying to become. So I, I when you qualify it like that, yeah, Horford is definitely – should be in the running as that because he can definitely – hold his own against almost any player. Now, he will get beat by guys because that's just what happens, but he can definitely hold his own up there. I just – I just the way it was first phrased on your podcast, I just thought it was a little bit like he's not the best defender. I mean, there are some – he just can't guard the wing players the way other guys can, but I will say that Miles Turner is definitely trying to mirror his game off Horford for sure. Sure, yeah. Look, it, and also you got to understand that that Sam Packard, who is my co-host post-game, is, is very, very prone to the moment. So, and I love him for it, but yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll come out with those definitive takes like that. And there, there's more nuance to it, but having seen, you know, just seen Alford and their performance against the Bucks, where they, they really held the Bucks in check for most of the game. That's, that's one of the immediate reactions is the Bucks are a tremendous offensive team so far this season. And Al Horford was one of the key defenders in helping keep that under control as much as you can keep a Giannis team under control. Yeah. So, yeah, like Miles Turner is is that that's a good player for him to emulate because he, that's what that's what the best defensive centers I think in today's NBA need to be. If you have that lateral quickness, if you have that ability to stay down and stay disciplined, and that's the biggest thing with Al Horford. The discipline to maintain his position and not overreact in just his space, defend the player, defend the basket, always in the right position for the most part, always understanding what the time and situation is. That's that's what makes him a tremendous defender. Well, speaking of the, of that Bucks game, um, I guess you want to live in the moment a little bit. I think Kyrie probably had his best game of the year, right, against the Bucks. Yeah, between that and the the previous Pistons games, two very similar games that he he really has been going off. Uh, he's he's trying to kind of find himself a little bit because in the first Pistons game he had three points, but he was a distri distributor, and I thought he played very well in that game. But in the past couple of games, he's been looking for a shot, and he's been really on fire. Yeah, so my favorite part, honestly, of the Pacers Celtics matchups, at least last year was the Kyrie Oladipo. I don't know. I mean, I remember the game back in Indiana where uh, Bojan blew it for them, and it was just like – it felt like for a moment it was just Kyrie and Oladipo just one up each other. One is just pull up the other. Yeah. Drive the rim, other guys drive the rim. And I think, you know, it was overlooked the fact of – I think Kyrie and Oladipo got to Kyrie's level last year, I think. I mean, I don't know what you think. I mean, I know Kyrie has the playoff experience with Cleveland that makes him on a whole nother level. But in terms of regular season performance, I thought Oladipo reached – 
Kyrie's level. And I think this is kind of what I'm looking forward to most in Saturday's game is who's going to kind of be the, the top guy. You can go mano on mano. You know, you know, you might still have a guard him a little bit even too. I'm just intrigued to see, I mean, especially if it's a close game, how it ends and who kind of comes out on top because they're two, they're probably the two best guards in the East right now. Yeah, um, I would, I would say that th- that's pretty close. Um, I, I think Oladipo is great. Um, I, I guess this season he's proving that last year wasn't a fluke. And I still have little hints of, okay, let's, let, let's see him prove it. But he's proven it, and that's, that's my own thing that I have to deal with. So my initial reaction, you say he's gotten to Kyrie's level, I want to say, well, hold on, wait a minute. But I, I get it. I get it. Um, I, I think that Kyrie is, is reaching for something different this year. And I think that he's, he's in a different place mentally and that's that's taking him to a different place as a basketball player and it's really interesting to see his evolution because he's still a young guy you know he's still what 27 years old uh so he's he's still kind of in that even 27 he's still kind of yeah he's almost 27 i guess he turns 27 in march he's he's game continues to evolve where we know that he can shoot. We know that he can dribble. And now it's finding his place as the leader on a team full of guys who can all go off. And it's, it's, I find that really, really interesting to see how he's doing that. Because like I said, a few games ago, he barely shot. He, He scored three points and he was just getting, getting into the paint and distributing. And then, setting up his players that way, his teammates that way. Last night, he's out there taking a ton of threes, and he's setting up his players in a different way by taking those threes because now defenses have to work to him, and he can make passes off of that, uh, a different type of setup for his distribution. It's interesting. Uh, The thing with Oladipo is he has gotten really, really good. I don't know if he's got that next level in him and, and that, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I hold him in a high regard, but at the same time I'm sitting here stammering about like, I'm still not holding him at Kyrie level regard. Hey, I understand what you mean. So what I meant by Kyrie level, I guess is for a single year, I guess. Um, Cause like I said, Kyrie's got the past history. I mean, he's put up 24 a game for three or four, three seasons in a row. And, I think Oladipo is kind of where Kyrie was at his maybe his peak peak days in Cleveland slash kind of his first year in Boston. Because I get what you mean. Kyrie this year has definitely had to. I mean, this was a basically last game is second time this year he took twenty shots. I know he took nineteen another time, but like he's been his shot numbers have gone have not been as high as you know where he was kind of in Cleveland and his points per game obviously aren't there either because he's coming the main distributor for this team. And obviously there's just so many talented players on Boston. It's sort of like a embarrassment of riches, but I guess Oladipo right now, it's kind of like you said, it's finding, can he become the distributor? I think Oladipo at times is trying that, but the problem with Oladipo is his team is not as good as the Celtics team His surrounding cast. Now he has to sort of step into the role of guy. Like somebody has got to score 25 points. If, you know, Turner's going to score 12 and only Thad Young's only going to score 10 and you only get 10 out of bowling. Somebody's got to get, they're going to win games, get 25, 30 points. And that's where it's a little bit different because, 
you know, Kyrie has the ability to just say, I don't have to be the best guy tonight. We got Tatum over there. We got Hayward when he finally gets it going eventually. You know, we got Horford who maybe step in. You've got other guys who can sort of be the guys at night. Or Oladipo, it's like, if I'm not the guy, we're going to lose. Just guaranteed. Right. No, that's true because he doesn't have the same type of uh, teammates uh, around him. That That's a very fair point. And but take all those things into account when you're trying to evaluate a player. Like Kyrie is, has been on championship teams. He's, and now he's on this team here that is, by most people's standards, at least going to challenge for uh, the, the NBA Finals. So, yeah, he has a lot of options where he has a luxury. And you don't know what that does to a guy like Victor Oladipo, who may get frustrated when there's, you know, things are close or maybe, I don't know if outwardly he ever is, but I I can imagine a guy just like anybody else at work, you go to work and you do all this. And if your coworkers are, you just look at your coworkers and you're like, why, why aren't you helping me here? We've all experienced that. Haven't we? You've gone to work, whatever office you're in and you've got a project and you're doing things and you feel like you're doing things very well. And somebody else in the office, like lets you down you go home and you badmouth that guy, right? So True. I wouldn't be surprised if Oladipo in a private moment goes, ah, oh, come on, Thad. Or, you know, like, not, he would never say that, but that, but if you have that kind of, I need to be the man mentality, that puts a lot of pressure on you. That puts a lot of, that changes the type of, it changes your shot profile. It changes the, and you may pass versus when you may assist. When you when you may shoot, like Kyrie has the luxury of saying, you know what, I have this shot, but Tatum's in the corner, Hayward's trailing, Horford's on the other side. I've got, I, I'm going to hit one of these guys. They're they're much more open than I am. Oladipo in that situation is like, I, me contested right here is still the best option, so I got to take it. So there there is that. So I will I will admit to. Uh, that I didn't take that into account, and, and that's definitely something that should kind of elevate Oladipo for sure because being the man, especially on a team, I think that has some pressure to, to continue to succeed, that, that's a lot. And, and he's thriving. He's still doing pretty well. So I, I definitely got to hand it to him for that. Yeah, and I guess the thing – some guys too f- want to be that kind of player. like I feel like Russell Westbrook wants to be the guy. He doesn't he doesn't need teammates. He wants to be the guy to score 30 points or whatever it is. And old people, you're kind of seeing that where with Kyrie, I guess in the past, I always thought was that guy. He was like it felt like even on those LeBron teams, Kyrie just wanted to shoot. He wanted to be that he wanted to, you know, make the great play at the rim and stuff like that. And it's interesting to kind of see, you know, this post-champion Kyrie sort of develop into something else. And that's kind of what I think makes the Celtics most lethal is because Right, the Celtics' best players, Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum, like just maybe Kyrie is there, but I think you know, pound for pound, I guess in terms of like guy who can get a shot whenever he wants, and you really can trust him to make it. It's Tatum, right? He's probably the best player right now on this team. I'm still going with Kyrie. Okay. I, I think Tatum. There's still, there's still. I love Tatum, but there's still a, a part of Tatum that is not taking the best shots in the world. And he definitely needs to stop settling for some of the long twos. He can get whatever shot he wants. The problem is some of the shots that he wants are inefficient long twos. And that's that's something that, you know, it's kind of going around in the Celtics sphere. Like we're joking and I think half joking that he worked out with Kobe 
over the summer, and Kobe poisoned him. And it's kind of a long, on a long, a long kind of where he ruining our star young stud by getting him into the long twos. And there are times where he'll uh, Tatum will up fake drive, like take two dribbles or one dribble, step in and shoot. And it's like, don't do that. Just attack the basket. Just keep going all the way to the basket. And, and he hasn't always done that. He's starting to get better at that. I won't be surprised if Tatum is the Celtics best player by the end of the year, or at least at some point next year. Not right now though. He's still, he's still prone to some, lapses he's still prone to some dry spells where he might get a little frustrated with himself i think when it comes down to give somebody the ball and go create something i still think it's Kyrie. Kyrie still has the handles that can break multiple people down i think that this guy can maintain his dribble in a hurricane like it's just insane he can do with the ball and when he gets going he's he's borderline he's basically unstoppable so i i still think that there's a level there that Jason Tatum's not at. So with the long two thing, I actually think part of that is because Pacers have some of the same issues where Turner will take these 20 foot two pointers for no absolute reason is defenders have begun to recognize the inefficiency of that shot. I mean, the, they played the bucks. So you'll notice that is the bucks just ran the visual three point. I mean, they didn't do it to the Celtics because Celtics made 24 threes and a record, but right. the, the bucks basically just tell Pacers anything between 15 and 20 feet is not a three. You can have that shot every time. And I think, that might be why guys are getting those shots like more often is you old Ebo, you know, anything he wants to the first one he can take because team are realizing that, okay, the guy's going to shoot, let's say 45, 50% on there, which is a worse percentage than they would shoot at the rim. And if they don't make a three, you know, that's also not as bad. So I think that's part of the way teams are trying to scheme players. And some of the younger guys, especially are just tend to take the open shot because, you know, in college basketball, I mean, I don't, in Tatum, Tatum, the Duke, he wasn't told don't take an open shot. He was told any shot you have, just take it. If it's open where in the NBA, it's kind of this next level of like, you know, you want certain kind of shots. You don't just want every shot open. You want certain kind of shots. And that's, I guess, that's sort of the evolution of a player, right? That's how they become a superstar is determining when to take, right. their, pick their, pick their spots. LeBron, that's how he became great was when he started picking his spots and shooting 65% over that was that one year. Right. It's all about the, the efficiency now. And look, the, the shots that he's taken are college threes. That the problem is they're not NBA threes. And so he's, he's comfortable from that distance, but that's not a distance that exists for him anymore. And so he definitely needs to just break out of those habits and and feel better about attacking and getting to the rim and and just making sure that that, that shot profile is an efficient one where he's not leaving points on the floor. You know, like if you're going to take some of those shots, then you might as well just not not take them and pass out of them and find a way to get back behind the three point line and take the next three pointer that's available because you're just, you're, you're taking points off the board. You're costing your team probably five, six points a game just in general. I'm speaking now. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're, if you're costing your team five, six points a game by not taking smart shots, then what are you, what, what's that? What's the result? You end up losing a game by one that you could have won by four. And that's, that's where I think some of the, the evolution of his game needs to go, that he needs to get better at sidestepping a closeout, 
rather than stepping in. Or if he steps in, just say, you know what? Screw it. Go. Just attack and then pass. Get into the paint. Kick it out. Let the ball rotate. And then once the defense is in rotation, you can, in the chaos, find an empty area and then get the ball. And now you can shoot the three rather than something that was contested, that's a long two or whatever. If the ball moves, he and, and this is part of a trust thing that these Celtics are, are starting to figure out. They're starting to get it, and this was their biggest problem earlier in the season, that they've started to break out, but they're not quite there. It's the trust that if I give up the ball, then I'm going to get it back because there's so many guys that when they get the ball, they can shoot. Tatum, uh, Hayward, Obviously, Kyrie, Marcus Morris when he's on the floor, Al Horford can shoot it, uh, Jalen Brown. All of these guys, when they catch the ball, if they're in an advantageous situation, they can have a pretty good percentage of hit shot. Giving up a shot that you think you can hit is difficult to do as a basketball player. But if they trust that, giving up this shot that they think they can hit for a better shot that somebody can hit, or the possibility of you getting a higher efficiency shot—that's that's hard to that's hard to do. But if you can get there, the entire offense will be better. Yeah, some of that is working out the kinks. I mean, you know this best. Basically, this was a whole different team. Think about it when they're playoffs because they didn't have their arguably two best players or two of the best three players when it came to playoff time. So they're like almost like reintegrating Irving and Hayward. It's like almost when you sign new guys off for agency. It's like it takes. At least, yeah. I mean, to, to at least twenty games before even anything looks like it should look right. I mean, I think it was LeBron took him at least when Miami and Cleveland both times at least 25, 30 games before it even looked like it was like competent enough to win a playoff series. Yeah, it, it's we we all like to overreact, <laughs> don't we? It's November second, and we're all freaking out about these things. And we got to remember, like we go into we go into the season saying it's it doesn't matter. October basketball doesn't matter. And neither does November basketball, really. It's Christmas. Christmas is like the day, like, all right, let's see what we got here. Most fans, most people that aren't junkies like us, who need every stitch of basketball in our lives, can pick it up and, uh, at Christmas and go, okay, Christmas is here. It's a big day. Uh, what's been going on? Oh, Pacers are still good. Okay. That, oh, the Celtics are near the time. Okay. We kind of expected that, right? Uh, get me caught up. And then now I'm going to start paying attention and you can do just fine as that person. And, and really it's everything prior to that is a bunch of experimentation. Brad Stevens loves to try new things at this time of year, because it's all about gathering the data and getting that sample size big enough to understand what's real and what's not, you know, it is Marcus Morris is shooting like 51% from three. He's having an amazing start to the season. Not sustainable. No <laughs> way. No way. You know, that's never gonna hold. Like he's yeah. never. That's not gonna happen. Marcus Morris. At some point, we're gonna be like, oh, there's the mook we know and love. But for now, we're loving it. But so, yeah, a lot of this doesn't matter. These guys are gonna figure it out. And, and you're right. Bringing Hayward, not only bringing Hayward in, but Hayward is not even himself. I was at practice earlier this week and asked him about his progression. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm just starting to remember kind of who I was. And that's, that's now in the middle of the, as the season's begun, he's still getting to a place. So each day they play with Gordon Hayward, 
he's making strides, which means each day they play with Gordon Hayward, they're playing with a new player. And the, the player was in the Bucks game where he scored 18 points and looked great is nowhere near the player that he was on day one or day two. So as he continues to move forward, like the Hayward that's going to be out there on Christmas is going to be different than the one that was against the Bucks. So they're constantly trying to figure out what this guy can do because he's supposed to be one of your star players. He's supposed to be 1A to Kyrie, and, and he's not there yet. When that happens, that is all an adjustment. So the Celtics really do have a ton of adjustments to make. Luckily for, for Boston, they're 6-2 and two after all of this, and, and they can make these adjustments on the fly while still winning games. So I've got an overreaction and a small sample size stat that has to do with a Celtics player that you can take with what you want. So it's a running joke in kind of Pacers Twitter that Marcus Smart comes to Indiana and just all of a sudden he's like the greatest shooter of all time. So in his two games <laughs> last year when he played against the Pacers in Indiana, in Indiana, so that's where they're playing on Saturday. That's why he shot, I believe, 12 of 14 and he's five of six from three. I don't know what it is about Indiana. That's why Pacers fans were like, we should sign Marcus Smart. He'll shoot what he's shooting like 60 or 80, 90 percent from three, whatever he's doing. But I just, it's just crazy with Marcus. Smart. Become Reggie Miller. Yeah. I mean, he, he came uh, in to a game and it was the, the December game and he made his first like three threes. Like they were, people were like, we're gonna let that guy shoot threes. Cause he's normally like a sub mid 30 or right about sub 33 point shooter. Usually yeah, like 29% three point. Right? It's ridiculous. Like Lance Stevenson level kind of bad from three, but man, he comes into Indiana and he just kills it. I don't, I don't know if you can explain it. I don't know if anybody can. I just, that's what worried me most about Saturday. Honestly, is that Marcus Smart will come in and he'll, have 12 points in the four minutes he plays in the first quarter, every place. And then all of a sudden be out of reach. Like it just, he kills him in Indiana. Maybe that's why he got his cornrows done as a nod to <laughs> Indy because he had the big, he had the, like the big natural going on. And then he showed up for practice uh, yesterday at shoot around yesterday, going uh, with the, with the braids of the cornrows. So now that makes sense. So he's, it's an homage to Indy and now he's going to go into Indy and, and shoot the lights out. Look, there is no explaining Marcus Smart. I cannot explain Marcus Smart. Uh, some some days he, he's like, I've seen him shooting in practice, nailing eight in a row. Like he has it in him. And the thing that has always confused me about him is he is a pretty good free throw shooter. And you know the, when they say like, oh, somebody can't shoot but they're, they're good from the line, eventually their jump shot will come around because the form is there. He's a career 75% three-point shooter. So that's pretty good. It's not elite, but it suggests that he has the ability, the form, the technique to launch a ball from his hand through a rim consistently. Yet from three, he can't do it very well at all. He's shooting 15% this year. I, I don't know. I don't know. It defies logic. But, I mean, for Boston, the shooting is, is the least important thing. He does so many other things. If he goes out there and now if, every time he hits a three, I'm really going to laugh. Like, I laugh out loud when Marcus Smart hits a three in general. Like, that, it's always funny when one goes in. If he starts hitting them consistently against the Pacers, like if he puts in two or three, I, I will cry. I will be like doubled over in laughter. Well, his 15% is being balanced out by Morse 51. So both of them will come back to the yeah, right. <laughs> will happen. Um, the last question I have to kind of finish up this, uh, this segment of the podcast is 
I know you're at every practice and you got all that stuff. What's the news on Jalen Brown? I know he didn't play Thursday. I know he said his day-to-day with his foot injury. Is there any kind of update? Do you think he's going to play? Um, we're recording this on a Friday, so everybody, but on Saturday against the Pacers? The, just about an hour before we started recording, Celtics listed him as questionable. He's dealing with a plantar fasciitis in his right foot, and they are treating it. They talked about getting like uh, some orthotic specialist to help with – with uh, alleviating some of the pressure. He said that when it first, when it, when it got bad, they, they did whatever treatment they did, as he called it, scientific stuff. And they, it felt better. It felt good enough where they called him a game time decision. And he was out warming up before the game. He was going through all of his paces and they, they scratched him probably an hour and a half before game time. So, there he's on the trip, which is a good sign. And right now I, I'm going to assume that they'll go through their shoot around in the morning and he'll kind of see how it is. And if it's kind of the same, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to push it. So if it feels the same as it did yesterday, he's going to miss the game, but it, it really is going to be a game time decision. All right. Well, you heard it here first in Locked On Pacers podcast. Jalen Brown, questionable, I guess, is still where we're at. Questionable to play. Um, John, thanks for joining me. Anything else you want to plug before we we head out? No, just follow me on Twitter, Reds Army underscore John. Anything I, I do, I'm tweeting. I'm, like, incessant with it. So follow me there, and, and you'll get everything. <laughs> I can uh, testify to that because I do follow you and <laughs> your Boston stuff. You know, I have a lot of friends who are Celtics fans too, so it doesn't hurt. I get to know what's going on in Boston world all the time. Um, thank you, John, for joining me. Unfortunately, we were not able to get a recap of the Bulls game up. I know the Pacers pulled it out by two points and a Miles Turner block. We'll talk about that game, the Knicks game, and the, really the whole Pacers week on this Monday's Locked on Pacers podcast. Tony and I will be on that show together, our first Monday show back in the season. Uh, first time we don't have a Monday game too, so that'll be interesting. But check back on Monday, Lockdown Pacers podcast to hear Tony and I's take of this week's games, tonight's Boston's game, and obviously the whole week that's coming up. That's all for his Locked On Pacers podcast. As always, you can follow on Twitter at Locked On Pacers. You can follow me at Freeman Five. You can follow Tony at T East NBA. Follow my uh, guest today, John Krause at Reds Army underscore John. That's all for his Locked On Pacers podcast. As always, have a great rest of your day. Thank you.